0: 910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris
1: Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 910 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome
0: back. Last week, we started a series called Dysfunctional Children, Functional God, where we are delving into the parable of the prodigal son. If you remember... Last week, we put the parable into context and looked at how this parable is the third in a series Jesus told about being lost, lost sheep, lost coin, and then this one, lost children. And I say children because although this week we're going to look at the son that everyone considers the lost one, we will see in the next episode, he wasn't the only one who was lost. That's right.
1: Chris, my husband and I like to walk around our neighborhood and we like to look at the mountains that surround where we live and about a mile from our house is a cemetery. So one day recently, we were walking through that cemetery and we were looking at all the stones. We were reading names and dates. There were some who died as far back as the early 1800s and some who just died this past year. There were some who died as infants and there were some who lived well into their 90s. And we noticed something else. Some of the graves were well taken care of; they had fresh flowers, and some were overgrown from neglect. There was even a few graves we saw that just had a marker with nothing written on it at all. It seems like a strange story
0: for you to tell. I've never known you to spend much time in a graveyard or cemetery.
1: <laughs> That's true, and normally I don't. And I'm not morbid or anything, but you know, maybe it was doing the series that had me thinking philosophically. I don't know. But, you know, I began to wonder how many of the people in the cemetery died lost. Did they have people who loved them or did they die alone, unknown to anyone? That makes me think of a
0: video I saw about Peter Steffen, a funeral director from Worcester, Massachusetts, and the scandal surrounding his funeral home. He had his license suspended in 2019 when authorities found nearly a dozen decomposing and unidentified bodies in his possession. Nobody missed the bodies because nobody knew who they were they were unknown. As the video said, it's not uncommon for morgues to have abandoned indigent and unclaimed bodies in them, many of which languish in
1: morgues for weeks or months. So maybe this is a little morbid, but it got me thinking about what happens to unknown, unclaimed bodies. Well, in the US, when a body goes unclaimed, it becomes the responsibility of the government. And we all know how that usually goes. Because of the Anatomy Acts, some states allow medical schools to dissect unclaimed bodies, after which the school at their own expense has to cremate the body or bury it. They usually cremate it, though. There's no standard practice to try and find out if these unknown people are indeed known to someone. The laws vary by state, by county, by city. And although most states require that the government make at least a good faith effort to locate the next of kin, Some states consider a few days sufficient for the search, while others say the body must be held for a month and can only be buried or cremated if the kid is not found in that amount of time.
0: As one expert in the area of unclaimed bodies said, governments don't have an emotional interest in the unclaimed dead. That's not mean or uncaring, it's just a fact. In biblical times and before refrigeration or embalming, the dead had to be buried as quickly as possible all bodies went into the same burial ground. If you were part of a community, you were buried together. If you were a stranger traveling through and unknown, you got the outskirts of the burial ground. Cemeteries as we know them started to appear in the U.S. in the 1620s. Cemeteries were for those who had money to bury their loved ones. But if you were poor or if the deceased was unknown or unclaimed, they were buried in a potter's field. And what we see with the cemetery versus the potter's field is the drawing of distinction between those who belonged and those who didn't belong.
1: So you might be asking, why are we spending so much time talking about the dead when our subject's the prodigal son? And specifically in this episode, the younger brother. Chris, I think the last thing you said gets at the heart of the matter the distinction between those who belong and those who don't. As profoundly sad as it is to die unknown and unclaimed by any human loved one, it's downright tragic to die and not be known by Jesus. That's the very definition of lost.
0: It makes me think of the verse in Matthew 25 at the final judgment where Jesus tells all those who are known by him, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And to those who are not known by him, he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So let's
1: start digging into the younger brother and pull all this apart. Well, let's start by reading Luke fifteen, eleven, and 12. And he, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father. Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. There's a lot going on in these two verses. Let's start by putting them into context. And as we said last week, there were different groups listening and something in Jesus's parables would have hit every one of them. These two verses would have hit those listed at the very beginning of the chapter. Luke 15:1. one to remind you from last week. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. We talked last week about who the people
0: listening to Jesus were. The sinners, as they're called in 15.1, is not referring to just people who sin. That would be everyone. Here's a reminder of how the ESV Study Bible defines these sinners here. Pharisees would have regarded as sinners anyone who failed to keep God's law as they interpreted it, And the term here seems to reflect a commonly understood meaning by which it included both people guilty of publicly known sin and others who did not keep the strict purity requirements of the Pharisees.
1: And just to clarify, that was thunder, not your stomach growling, right?
0: That was thunder.
1: Yes, it (laughs) just started thundering here again. But it could be my stomach because I am (laughs) hungry. Okay, back to our episode. So the term sinners was used by the religious establishment at that time to describe those they regarded as outcasts, not only because they were actually open sinners, but also because they didn't follow the Pharisaical legalistic traditions. In contrast, the Pharisees regarded those who did follow all of their mounting quote unquote laws, because they were man-made, were considered righteous. And this is an important point to remember for this parable. No surprise, Jesus knew all this and part of what he's
0: doing with these three parables is tearing that belief to shreds. Okay, so we tell you all this because as Jesus started telling this parable, the Pharisees probably would have been nodding and recognizing the younger son as a sinner. Just a quick reminder of what the first two lines say. I'll read them again. And he, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property
1: between them. So what's going on here? Well, the younger son is saying to his dad, give me my share of your estate. And what he means is he's looking for in his inheritance. In essence, he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead. The only value you have to me is the money I have coming to me when you die. I'm not interested in a relationship with you. I don't need you. You know, Chris, in a culture where elders and especially your parents were to be honored, this would have been the ultimate slap in the face to the father. And spoiler alert, the younger son represents every person before they come to Jesus. And we're going to see this as we go more and more through this parable. But Chris, we point this out because what the younger son says to the father here. Right. And of course,
0: most of us probably know that the father represents God. And we'll get to this more in later weeks. But As we look at this week at the younger son, like you said, he represents all of us who are dead in our sins. And what he says to the father mirrors what Romans 3.11 says, which is none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. In Psalm 10.4, it says the wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. And Isaiah 9.13 says... Yet the people do not turn back to him who struck them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. So here we have a son who has no interest in a relationship with his father and wishes his father would go away or essentially die. And, you know, just give him what he thinks that he's entitled to so he can live the life he wants exactly as he wants. That's right.
1: He wants what he considers the good stuff, which is money in this case, from his father, but doesn't want the father. Chris, as those verses you read show, this younger son's attitude is the quintessential attitude of an unbeliever. They're happy mm-hmm. to take the good stuff God gives, beautiful weather, a good income, a nice place to live, friends, etc But they don't want anything to do with God and his commands for their life. In the younger son's eyes, his father was an obstruction to what he wanted. He wanted the father to get out of his way keep his advice, his rules, his relationship, and just get out of his way and let him live his life on his terms. He wanted what he considered freedom. And this father gives his son exactly what he asks for. He
0: divides his estate up and he gives the younger son his share. I I think we need to pause and realize that what this father did cost him greatly. He should have had that money as a resource for the rest of his life, but now that money is gone. So at great expense to himself, the father gives the younger what he wants, and he leaves the son to himself to his greatly desired freedom from his father.
1: Let's continue with the parable in Luke 15, 13 to 16, which says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him
0: anything. There's a ton to unpack in these three verses. First, notice the son goes to a far country. He wants to get as far away from the watching eye of his father as possible. He wants to be free, but as he soon finds out freedom from the father, isn't all it's cracked up to be without any guidance from his father. He blows all his money on basically stupid and destructive things. You know, I'm sure having money and being able to do whatever you wanted felt good at first. You can almost imagine the son in the beginning, drinking, partying, you know, maybe hiring prostitutes and thinking this is the life. This is what being under my
1: father's roof and rule has kept me from all these years. And don't we all know unbelievers who think living under God's commands is stifling and suffocating? Don't we see them reveling in their sinful lifestyles, throwing it in the face of anyone who watches? Don't we see some who are almost drunk on the idea of flipping off the commands of God? And don't we hear them say that they found true freedom in being who they want to be without the restraining hand of scripture? Don't we even sometimes contemplate ourselves if not living by God's commands would be easier and more freeing for us? The son chose a path that he believed was better for him and would ultimately bring him happiness. You're right.
0: And we can all have those thoughts. And as we see, though, that wasn't the case at all, not even a little bit. After living destructively for a period of time, The son runs out of money and there's a famine in the land. Here's something I love about the story. Even if the son had been thrifty with his money, a famine in the land would have put him in need. But at least he would have had some resources to live off for a while. But after everything's gone, that's when the severe famine hits. He was in a foreign land alone, away from his father, with no money, no home, with nothing. He had nowhere to go and no support. Or resources to rely on. So whether he was reckless or somewhat wise with his money, being apart from his father put him in a position of need, but that need is magnified by the fact that he's got nothing left of his inheritance. And probably, though things were bad, things get much worse. And of course, the severe
1: famine didn't just happen. Exactly. We should ask ourselves, why did Jesus include the famine in this parable? He could have said the son ran out of money and was starving and hired himself out, but he includes the famine that overtakes the land. And I think the point he makes is should be pretty obvious. Like you said, Chris, even if the son had been smarter with his money, the severe famine put him in a position of need. But the fact that it happens after he squandered all that he has puts him in dire need. I love what James Fawcett Brown say on this. And here I'm going to quote this. When he had spent all, a mighty famine, a mysterious providence holding back the famine, till he was in the circumstances to feel it in all its rigor. Thus, like Jonah, whom the storm did not overtake till on the mighty deep at the mercy of the waves, does the sinner feel as if the stars in their courses were fighting against him. In one, the first stage of his bitter experience and preparation for a change. And we will get to the change he's preparing to have in a minute. But
0: first, we need to notice what he's reduced to doing because of his need. He's feeding pigs for a foreigner. First, the fact that a Jewish boy from a prominent family had to hire himself out to a foreigner is humiliating enough. But add to it the fact that he's feeding pigs. Pigs were unclean to Jewish people. Deuteronomy 14.8 says the pig, because it divides the hoof but does not chew the cud, is it is unclean for you. You shall not eat any of their flesh nor touch their carcasses. Leviticus 11.35 goes even further. Everything, moreover, on which part of their carcass may fall becomes unclean. An oven or a stove shall be smashed. They are unclean and shall continue as unclean to you. Pigs were not only not to be eaten, they
1: weren't to be touched. So he shouldn't have been taking care of these pigs. But in a further illustration of how low he had sunk, he's wishing he could eat the slop the pigs are eating. Like James Fawcett and Brown say, his circumstances have nudged him that he needs a change. When we look at this in light of the younger son being all of us before coming to Christ, we might think this parable shows that God is cruel to us in our unbelief state just to make us come to him. But it's actually
0: the opposite. As Psalm 119, 155 says, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. And of course, the familiar Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Sometimes God has to bring us to rock bottom to break us, and it certainly does break the younger son. Luke 15, 17, and 19 tells us, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants.
1: And of course, the whole point of God breaking us is so we can be rebuilt into the person we were meant to be, his son or daughter. Chris, you know that we're heavily involved in wrestling because our son wrestled all his life. And I mean collegiate wrestling, not WWE wrestling. Anyway, they had a two week summer camp. And the first several days of the camp, they worked on breaking you. It's very similar to what they do in the military in boot camp. The purpose is once you're broken, then they can rebuild you. At this wrestling camp, it was built to build you into a great wrestler. And as we said, the military does this with boot camp. And of course, the idea is once they break you, then they build you into a proficient soldier. And this breaking and rebuilding doesn't
0: work unless the person realizes at some point that he or she needs the rebuilding. That being rebuilt has a distinct advantage over their current broken state. The younger son would never have considered humiliating himself before his father, his brother, the
1: servants, and the whole town unless he knew that it would be worth it. Here's what John Calvin says about this. It must also be observed that the hope of bettering his condition if he returned to his father gave this young man courage to repent. For no severity of punishment will soften our depravity or make us displeased with our sins till we perceive some advantage. As this young man, therefore, is induced by confidence in his father's kindness to seek reconciliation— So the beginning of our repentance must be an acknowledgement of the mercy of God to excite in us favorable hopes. This part
0: of the parable is a perfect example of what happens when we run from God. If we decide we want to take the blessings he's given us and use them in the world, when we do that, even if we have endless money, fame, friends, or other material wealth at our disposal, it will always end in our future being no better than pig slop. That's the reality and the misery for anyone who's running from Jesus, which is all of us until or unless the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and regenerates our heart.
1: You know, we started this episode talking about those who've died and were unknown by others. And as we said, as sad as it is to be unknown by other humans while we walk the earth, that's nothing compared to being unknown by God. As Matthew seven twenty one to 23 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many great works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Not only does
0: Jesus not know people who thought they were Christians and who thought they were following him, but what about the unbelievers? Exactly. Same thing. Exactly. We end this episode on the younger son with Luke 15, 20. It says, and he arose and came to his father. The only reason the younger son was able or had any inclination at all to go throw himself at the mercy of his father was because he belonged to his father. He was one of the father's own. To be sure, there were some rich men in the land that he was in. Maybe even some who were pretty generous, probably some who were, but they were strangers to him and he to them. By this point, he's filthy and smelly and probably pretty unpleasant to be around. And you can imagine a very different scenario if in his present condition, he knocked on the door of someone who he didn't know. He probably would have had the door slammed in his face or had the police called on him and been drug away to prison.
1: But he rose up and went to his father, the one he belonged to, the one to whom he was known. And that's where we're going to leave you today. We'll pick up next week. Thanks for tuning in. If you missed the Christmas in July event that we were a part of last week, you can catch all the posts and videos, including the cover reveal of our new book, The Bible Blueprint, A Guide to Better Understanding the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, on our website on our Facebook pages and our MeWe pages. The videos are also on our YouTube and Rumble channels. And
0: don't forget coming up in three weeks is our 100th episode. You can still enter the giveaway by submitting a question to Proverbs910ministries at gmail.com or by reviewing this podcast and sending a screenshot of the review along with the platform that it's posted on. Have a blessed day, everybody.